Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, I was a little, a little bit surprised this this uh, year when you came in for our first reunion since getting vaccinated, and you showed up, and just, I think just for the joke, you did put an elephant in my living room, uh, and I was like, what? Well, I guess thanks for the elephant. And you said, don't mention it. (laughs) I like that. I like that mostly because when this is uploaded, like when you're listening to it, dear listener, Hank and I will be in the same place at the same time for the first time in a long time. Yes. But now we're not like it still hasn't happened. So it was just (laughs) fun in the joke to imagine being together and good news hank i i am getting you an elephant oh great i've heard i've heard they make great pets and that it's not at all problematic to have them in one's home so they're very easy to acquire uh no big is your son maybe a a little one is it a little one (laughs) it's not a little one it's it's a regular sized one hank before we answer questions from our listeners i think it's important to discuss a really troubling development on tiktok which is that on Uh-oh. June 3rd, 2021, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you made a TikTok. Uh-huh. And the TikTok begins with you saying, Oh no! Oren would like to say happy birthday. Oren is Hank's four year old son. Oren would like to say happy birthday, but we no. don't know anyone oh, whose God. birthday it is. So if it's your birthday, Oren, go ahead. And then Oren, in his adorable little voice, said, happy birthday. And it was a great TikTok. It did very well. It got a lot of traction. Uh Lots of people were like, oh, it's my birthday. Oren, thank you for thinking of me. You know who (laughs) else's birthday it was, Hank? It was your only niece's birthday. I mean, that's all of this is true. I have no defense. I have no defense, Orin. and obviously Oren knew. Like Oren was knew. like, it's somebody's Orin birthday. Knew. He had the feeling, and somehow you didn't have the feeling, <laughs> or even like I don't know, occasion to Google oh. it, because like it's not like you have to text me or something. Like you could just Google Alice Green's birthday. Uh, yeah. I know because Alice and Henry are obsessed with the fact that Google knows who they are. Like <laughs> like the Hey Google, Google Home Assistant. Uh huh. <laughs> Oh my god. You could Google Alice's birthday. It's available online publicly. So anyway, next time Oren's like, hey, Dad, I feel like we need to be saying happy birthday to someone. Listen to him. <laughs> okay. I mean, he is very smart. Uh he knows a bunch of stuff that I don't know. The other day he was outside and uh and he was peeing. He was leaning against a tree and peeing like a good old good Montana boy. And he said, This is a walnut. And I was like, What's a walnut? And he was like, This and he looked and he pointed at the tree. This is a walnut. And I was like, that's wow. a walnut? And he, he was like, yeah. And I was like, what do you mean? 
it's a walnut tree. And I was like, is it? I don't know. And then he was like, look. And he picked up off the ground. He was like, I thought it was a rock. It was a walnut shell from the walnut tree. Wow. From like last year. It was like a dried up old walnut shell. I'm writing a new episode of the Anthropocene Reviewed right now. It's Uh taking me a long time. And it's about a tree. And a, a particular one. Yeah, one particular tree. But in writing it, I've come back again and again to the fact that like 20-year-old me, if 20-year-old me found out that 43-year-old me was writing an entire essay about a single tree, mm-hmm. 20-year-old me would be furious. <laughs> like <laughs> 20-year-old me felt that like trees in literature existed only when they were being interacted with by humans. Yeah. I felt so strongly about this. I often think about the fact that when I was 20, I knew so much about writing. And now I know so little about it. And I wonder, like, what is it that I know so much about now that I will know very little about when I am 66? (laughs) They say in your yearbook, don't ever change. And don't ever listen to your yearbook. No, when they say keep in touch, just don't. Just, just, it's good. It's fine. Let it go. <laughs> keep in touch with the people that you want to keep in touch with yeah. and change in the one, in the ways that you want to change. Or in ways that would surprise you, but are okay. Yeah. Like discovering that you like writing about trees, even when there are no people near them. <laughs> uh, man, I, I, I was probably the world's biggest believer in if a tree falls in the woods and no one is there to hear it, it does not make a sound. Like that was like my foundational understanding of being a human being in the world and now i'm like now i'm like man those trees they're good they're like with or without (laughs) us they're good this is a i have i i have always been like very confused by that sort of i guess philosophical question yeah i think it's it's never seemed confusing to me and and i think the fact that like and i imagine probably most people hearing this feel the same way i think that that is just reflective of a change in how we understand our place in the world yeah i think that that the original zen koan was trying to do a bunch of things that have been contextually lost in sure the kind of repurposing of it for a 20th century uh thing to Put on your wall or whatever. Yeah, we but also yeah, have a more I, sort of physical understanding of what a sound is now. Like a sound is a oh, it, yeah. is a real thing that exists. It's not just something that is perceived by your ears. Yeah, although there is still a a double element of it, right? Like there's two meanings to the to the word sound. Sure. It's both like the waves and the experience of mm-hmm. the waves hitting the meat in your ears how it's so weird i can't i I just can't get over the fact that all of our that meaty in there i know but there are there are meat parts or like even weirder hitting the bones in my ears the tiny little like bone spurs that are rattling around in there and like helping me to keep my balance and it's crazy this is nuts our our Mm -hmm. bodies are made out of chemicals it's it's nuts I, i i feel like i i feel like every news story on CNN tomorrow morning, every day for the rest of human history should be like, all our thoughts are made out of chemicals. <laughs> this is, I mean, uh, uh, TikTok found a great way to say this, which is, uh, I mean, I, I don't know who originated it, but I've seen it on TikTok a bunch. Um, Four billion years ago, a bunch of dirt. Now, Bluetooth. <laughs> it's like, how yeah. did a bunch of dirt yeah. become Bluetooth? Yeah. How are we, like, and and understanding the answer to that question, because of course we don't understand it uh, uh, with any level of precision, but like we have understandings of, of, you know, a lot of the steps of that and, and like base, like the the mechanisms, at least, if not the actual events, um, is really wonderful and also new. Yes. It's a new new human experience. Super new. And it so much defines our understanding of those experiences or like recontextualizes them that I think it's difficult sometimes yeah. to empathize with the way that people used to think about that stuff. Oh, yeah, totally. Can I tell you a version of this that just came up in our home? Okay. So I was moving our KitchenAid mixer back to its place in the cabinets. And I was like, this is the densest. I don't know if you've ever held a KitchenAid mixer, but they're incredibly heavy. Mm-hmm. And the bottoms are very dense so that they don't like, you know, start jumping around when you start mixing stuff. And I was like, this is the densest thing I've ever held. And Sarah was like, 
all of the universe was contained inside <laughs> of a, a pinprick of matter vastly smaller than that KitchenAid mixer. It is not the <laughs> densest thing ever. <laughs> yeah, that KitchenAid mixer was was existed in a singular point. Yeah. All of the atoms that are in it right now are all the particles that are in it right now. And yet. And, and yet. Oh, man. All right. Anyway, thanks for coming to Stone to Dear Hank and John, where <laughs> Hank and I are like, dude, <laughs> the universe is Mixers wild. are really heavy. They have they make them heavy on purpose so they don't tip over, is my assumption. Yeah, it's so they don't start like dancing around when you're mixing stuff. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's important. John, this first question comes from Morgan, who asks, Dear Hank and John, when we have such high-tech gadgets and gizmos in our current world that are constantly advancing and working very well, why are our printers still so bad? Your friend Morgan. They're so bad, John. I mean, they are and they aren't, right? Like, 600 years ago, people (laughs) were using the Latin alphabet, and they began using printers, and they were like, hey, what what do words look like when they aren't handwritten? Because no one had ever thought of that question before. Yeah, it wasn't long ago that a that a printer was a person in a small stone room with a pen. <laughs> yeah, this who just did that all day forever because because he was the second born and so his father just couldn't be bothered. Yeah, it's like you are now a printer. Your job is to be is to never talk and to write stuff down for the church. Right. So, so I guess it's better than that. So stop complaining, Morgan. Printers are great. <laughs> But I do. If if we didn't have a printer, you'd need an extra person. You'd need a person in your home. (laughs) Yeah. Who very carefully drew letters. You'd have to hire a monk. It's a stark choice. Yes, printers are not as good as they should be, but they're way better than the the monk (laughs) in the basement. Than Leopold, (laughs) who you've got. Yeah. Doesn't even speak English. Right. You got Flavius down there, and he's just copying things out (laughs) one at a time. In that sense. You gotta translate it into Latin for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will say, though, that printers are not any better than they were 30 years ago. That is the thing. And in, in some ways, they seem is. worse. Yeah. Yeah. They're, well, they're, uh, it's hard to know if they're, they're worse because printers 30 years ago were also super annoying. And so yeah, I, I think wireless printing is pretty cool. Which I have not managed to get set up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so. <laughs> to be totally honest, like, yeah, I'm engaging with Morgan's question like it's ludicrous when, in fact, whenever I need to print something, I just forward it to my son and say, hey, Henry, <laughs> can you print this out for me? Wow, we are that old. John, John, this week I... um I sent us instead of saving an image, I just did a screenshot of it. And then I sent it to someone over text. Yeah. And this person was, you know, sort of a, a cusper Gen Z millennial. And they were like, oh, so you're true old now. Yeah. Because you couldn't like figure out how to download an image into your image, like into your meme folder. And so instead you're like, let me take a screenshot of it for you. That's. His- but Hank, if we can turn <sighs> to Morgan's question for a moment. Sure. I don't have an answer. It's an astonishment to me that printers are still so bad. Um, I did. I have. I have read a little bit about this, and it appears like there's a couple of things. One is that they're trying to have a more robust feature set than probably they need because it's easier to market a printer if you can say you can print photographs with this, which you will not and should not do. Right. Because it will never be anything like, ju- like it will be more expensive and harder and worse than using any of the many services that will print photographs for you. And right. so a printer should have a scanner and it should be able to uh, copy with that scanner and print something out. And it should, uh, and it should also be able to sort of like do all of its things uh, and do it for a long time. And so in, in fact, if you had a, a simple printer that costs the amount that a printer should cost, then it pr- it was it is likely you could actually end up with some pretty good printers. But if they're on the shelf in the office depot, and you've got all these different printers, the you're going to buy the one that has the most features and is the cheapest. And what you end up with is a printer that has a very small ink cartridge, because they're going to price that printer lower than how much it costs. 
to actually uh, make the printer. Because they're in and, the ink sales uh, business. Because they're in the ink sales business. And so they will they will do everything they can to get the pre- to the cost of the printer as low as possible, but also to further lower the cost so that they can get you buying ink for the rest of your life. So tiny ink cartridges that uh, that tell you that they're empty before they're empty and the printer won't accept an ink cartridge from any other company. And and they have all these features that can break because the printer isn't designed to be robust because it's designed to get you to buy it uh, when you are making a choice between it and 20 other printers that are mm. all in the same race to the bottom, yeah. which iPhones don't aren't engaged in that. Like they aren't racing to the bottom. I've like apparently Apple can charge whatever the hell they want for a phone and I'll, I'll still pay. Yeah, but also they make a lot of money. They have all. They have their own version of ink cartridges in the form of the app yes. store. Yeah, they have they have many many of the uh, ways to make money. And so what I mean, like I'm a little bit surprised, frankly, that Apple hasn't been like, "You want a good printer? Here's one. It costs six hundred dollars instead of getting you subscribed to the the ink that you will have to buy forever and be annoyed by, and it goes dry every two months." Yeah. Well, anyway, thanks for coming to old people complain about how things aren't as good as they used mm-hmm. to be. An exciting new podcast from Hank and John that's breaking ground in the field of old men yelling at clouds. Uh, This next question comes from Nate, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm sorry to ask this, but since you are older... Oh, great. It's just... It's happening. (laughs) Since you are older, at what point do you change your hair color on official documents such as driver's licenses to gray? Nate, I don't like this question. (laughs) What about bald? Nate... What about bald? What about bald? When do you when do you change it to hair? No. Yeah, yeah, because you only get two letters. It's like BR for brown or BL for blonde, and yeah. it's just NO. It's just like NO. <laughs> I am balding, yeah. so I need your dubious advice, Nate. I think that you like. I think that balding. You still have your hair color. You don't get to be no. I think you should get to be no. Though I think you should. I think you should have the option then, where you could say, like, "I think you should." Insofar as I have head hair it's red slash i'm bald so your your question is is a situation zen masters would put it a question wrongly asked it's interesting to me that my that like my license like that 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 is part of the process where and it used to be that like on a passport it would describe so i know about this because i was recently doing research oh yeah there was no photograph of them but there were like reproductions of what they looked like because on their passport or travel documents, they would write what they looked like because there wasn't an easy way to put a photograph on it. It was like, so she had a chin dimple and her face was right, oval and right. her eyes were blue and like all that. So you have some idea of what the person looked like. But that is like held over even in a world where there's a photograph on the thing. Yeah. So it's like, what, what color is my hair? I don't know. Look at the picture. Well, also, I might have dyed it. And I don't want that to invalidate yeah. my identification. Yeah. It, but it is weird in a world of retinal scans to still have to list your uh, hair color on your on your driver's license. <laughs> I feel like, Hank, you still have the hair color you always had, whereas I yeah. don't. I have. You are more salt and peppery, for sure. Yeah. And, and so if people ask me, like, what color my hair is, I think I'd still say brown, but I'm starting... I'm starting to say it's salt and pepper because it is. Yeah. My license doesn't have my my hair color on it. Montana's like, we're good, but you can't really tell what eye color is with the terrible picture they have on this. And it says eyes, bro. 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 So I do have eyes. Here's what I'll say in answer to the question, though. In my experience, you never switch too soon. Like nobody ever says like I have gray <laughs> hair before they have gray hair. So like if you're thinking right. about switching, go ahead and switch. Well, I imagine it happens when you go in. Like, do you tell them what your hair color is or do they look at you and then they write it down? Like they're the professional on what color hair you have. You go in to get your driver's license. They look at your uh, face. No, so I actually I, I, I had a conversation at the DMV about this. Oh, and yeah. I, this is just one person. <laughs> okay. But I, I really, I genuinely don't know what color my eyes are. Uh-huh. They're, you know, they're mostly brown. They're a little bit hazel. Uh-huh. And so I was like, what do you think? And the person behind the counter, obviously in the middle of a fairly long day, was like, what color are your eyes? 
I'm not, I'm not yeah. here to like pass a series of aesthetic judgments yeah. on you. I just need to know what to put on the piece of paper. I'm about to go get my driver's license renewed because it is about to expire. And at that point, I might just go ahead and say gray because in Montana, licenses last like 15 years. So like for the majority of those 15 years, my hair will be gray. I don't know, though. You're holding up pretty well so far. Like, I would say that you're balding more than I am, but you're way less gray Excuse than I was at your age. Excuse me? It's true. <laughs> you don't think I'm balding at all. No, your hair is a little thinner than mine. It's okay. It's not a bad thing. It's not a values judgment. <laughs> right, it's just a fact. Okay. All right. It's a, little, it's a little wispy up front. All right. I do. I feel I feel like I feel I mean, like I haven't, more, see, I haven't seen you in a year and a half. So like actually, it, I don't know. It does look a little like Dad's. Dad's has gotten a little wispier. Over the years, just like thinner hair rather than no hair. I don't know. Our dad has the most hair of any 70 year old man I've ever met. I hope that I hope that we follow follow after him. Should we keep doing the thing where we only answer two questions in the whole podcast (laughs) or should we get to a third question? Next one comes from Katie, who asks, dear Hank and John, I saw a photo recently that claimed it was a photo of Mars without the effects of the orange lens that NASA uses. The picture was surprisingly brown rather than red. Is it true that NASA uses an orange lens that distorts the color of Mars and it isn't as orange as we see it? If so, why would they do that? Not Earl Grey, not Orange Pico, a little bit of sleepy time, KT. All all color is distorted. Well, it's very, so it turns out it is a complicated thing. But I will start out by saying NASA does not have a weird conspiracy theory that they want you to think Mars is more orange than it is. Right. But color is weird. And what NASA is trying to do with the photographs that they are color correcting based on a a bunch of stuff. So they like have these little colored things on the surface of the rovers where they can look at them and say, this is we know what color this is. We had it on Earth. We took a picture of it. We know exactly what color it is. And then we look at it in the Martian light and then we can like adjust based on that. But they don't want to show you what Mars would look like under Earth's sky or what Mars would look like under your bedroom lights. They want to show you what Mars looks like under Mars's sky. And so that is what they, that's what they calibrate to. They try and make it look like what it would look like if you were standing on Mars. Whereas this picture that I think you saw, Katie, my guess is that is what Mars would look like if it were under Earth's sky. Mm. Which it, which does mm. look more, much more Earth-like. Right. Unsurprisingly. Yeah, that makes sense. But it turns out it's super complicated to figure out like what color something is on another planet or even anywhere um, because light, like what light is hitting it uh, affects the color dramatically. Yeah, there's a great Tacita Dean line that I quote in the Anthropocene Reviewed book, color is a fiction of light, which is really beautiful and deeply true. Speaking of which, I should say, and I should have said this probably at the outset, but Big, a huge thank you to everybody who pre-ordered the book and has been reading it and uh, sharing it with their friends. It's been an incredible first week of the Anthropocene Reviewed book's life. It debuted at number one on the nonfiction New York Times bestseller list, and it's just been so generously received, and I am really, really grateful. So thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Sorry if I spoiled the book by sharing that Tacitus Dean quote, but now, <laughs> now you probably. have to read it if you don't want to. I uh, I was just writing down uh, notes for for our potential sponsors, and I wrote down the word Indianapolis. Uh, so like Indianapolis, like a person who just I guess studies Indianapolis would be an Indianapolis. Yeah, or or it could be like the name for enthusiasts of Indianapolis, mm, yeah, you know? Yeah. The way that like Taylor Swift fans are called Swifties. Yeah. It could be Indianapolis. What's a person from Indianapolis <laughs> called? Oh god. Oh, just did I, Nothing. Did I hope that I open up a can of it's, worms here. <laughs> well, there's a lot of debate within Indianapolis about uh, and I just yeah, think okay. say I'm from Indianapolis. It's not hard. You know, you don't have to I don't I don't need to be a Chicagoan or a New Yorker. I live in Indianapolis. <laughs> like Well, it's like a, it's not a great word to end up with a like an Indianapolisian. Yeah. It's just or bad. an Indianapolisite is I would argue maybe even worse. Is it is it Missoulian? Missoulian. But look, 
I think an Indianapolis is the best possible collective noun for a bunch of for 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 the for the people of Indianapolis. I don't know. I we would are, just we together are the Indianapolis. Oh God, no! I I feel like one of the pleasures of being from a sort of mid-sized city is that you don't have to define yourself primarily by where you live. You know, like yeah. New Yorkers, well, and I lived in New York, so I feel like I can say this a little bit, like. New Yorkers love being New Yorkers. Like they like, it's part of who mm-hmm. they think of themselves as being. And I do right. think of myself as being from Indianapolis, but like it's definitely not core to my identity. Right. It, and it, yeah, in, in Missoula, it's kind of important because it's it's very, as the bumper as the bumper sticker says, I love Missoula. It's only 30 minutes from Montana. Right, um, right. And so it is so different from the rest of the place that you, you do sort of end up with the identity or else people... If you call yourself a Montana, they're like, nah, not really. Well, you live, in, you live in Missoula. To be clear, Indianapolis is also fairly different from the rest of Indiana. <laughs> I mean, actually, Indian, Indiana really contains multitudes. There's a there's a lot of different states within our state, but uh, yeah. but yeah, I don't think of myself as being from Indiana. I think of myself as being from Indianapolis. Um, what was the question? <laughs> what are we doing? I think what we're, is talking about Mars? About? we're talking about Mars. We're talking about Mars, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> this next question comes from Kay. Nope. This next question comes from Holly. And Hank, I don't know the answer to it. So I'm, I'm hoping you do. And I think you will. Dear John and Hank, my seven-year-old son told me that Venus is the hottest planet. Now, I corrected him saying that Mercury had to be the hottest planet as it is closest to the sun. But according to his favorite podcast, the Curious Kid podcast, which, by the way, is excellent, and Google, the hottest planet is indeed Venus. What mm-hmm. am I missing? <laughs> Holly and her son, that's a pun. It's two kinds of son, Judah. Ah, nice. Uh, what are you missing? So obviously Mercury is much closer to the sun, so it receives more solar radiation per square inch of planet. Um, but there are two pieces of how hot something is, how hot a planet is. There's how much uh, energy it receives and how much energy it radiates back out into space. Mercury has no atmosphere because it's been blown off by all of the tremendous solar radiation that it receives. Uh, And so it can radiate back into space fairly efficiently. It is still very, very hot. You would die on the surface of Mercury. No problem. If you were in the in the sun uh, rather than on the shady side, you'd die on the shady side, too, because there's no atmosphere. But um, you die more painfully on the sunny side. Now, on the surface of Venus, similar story does still receive a lot of energy, but it cannot get away because mm. Venus is uh, the, the atmosphere is very thick and it's mostly made of carbon dioxide, which you may have heard of as the chief gas that contributes to uh, global warming, which is how we are trapping more heat around Earth right now. Now, we don't have anything like the amount of CO2 that Venus has. That's a good thing. If we did, we would be not a, we wouldn't exist. Um, but the, so like Venus is very good at holding onto its temperature. So even in the nighttime side of Venus, it is very, very hot. And, uh, and then as it rolls around it becomes the daytime side, which of course we can't even see the surface of Venus because the atmosphere is so thick. Um, then it, you know, then it heats up even more when it's under the sun, but like mostly it's pretty much the same temperature everywhere because the atmosphere is holding on to a tremendous amount of the energy that it receives from the sun and it does not re-radiate a lot of that energy. Um, and so it manages to be hotter than Mercury, which not by a lot, but but by quite a lot. So hot that there are some metals that we would think of as really quite solid metals that would be liquid on the surface of Venus. That's wild. That makes yeah. me really want to not go to Venus. Yeah. I mean, I didn't want to go to, anyway. To, to melt some lead. Lead does melt. No, no, not that hot. But yeah, lead would be a liquid on on Venus. Yeah, I don't want my lead suit that I'm wearing to like protect me from the sun's <laughs> rays to melt as I'm <laughs> stepping onto the surface of Venus. That sounds like a bad party. I don't want to attend. Yeah, yeah. and it was just announced that Ven- that we are we are going to do our first missions to Venus in 30 years. Um, so this is very exciting, and uh, we will sort of open back the door. We went to Venus and we were like, oh, this place is very bad. Uh, but we are we are headed back again. And I'm excited for the Venus missions that, that NASA is working on right now. I am also excited. It'll be great. 
John, this next question comes from Sheena, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm a promotions coordinator at a small TV station, and I edit local promos and commercials. People are always asking me to edit videos for them, and when I bring up my freelance pricing list, they get offended that I won't use my talents for them for free. How do I kindly tell my friends that I will not work for free, neither a punk rocker nor the queen of the jungle, Sheena? Wow. Ramon's reference in there. Um, John... I think that like this is this is a problem, uh, but but I think that there is a there is a there are ways to handle this. Like if there is a an opportunity here where you say like this might be a thing that someone would want to pay for, um, then you you give them your freelance rates. If it's something where it seems like they're probably just asking you for a favor, you say, and I quote, "I edit video all day at my job. I don't want to do it when I get home." And yeah. even if that's not totally true, like even if you do love editing video, like you don't want to do it for free because it's a little bit weird and people should know that it, it is your job. And so like you don't you don't want to do it uh, just as a favor unless you do want to do it as a favor. But but I think that like it's it's to some extent understandable when it's a friend, if they don't understand um, the amount of work that goes into something or your relationship with that activity that they might ask, not understanding that this is this is more of a job than they might think it is. Exactly. So I have a really good friend who's a dermatologist. And sometimes I'll be like, <laughs> oh, no. Hey, Dr. Yeah. Hyatt, what, what do you think of this mole? And yeah. Dr. Dr. Hyatt will be like, I think it's fine. And I am using an absurd amount of talent and education and you know, expertise in that moment that I'm not, that I'm not paying for. Mm -hmm. And I think that you have to be, uh, careful not to like to remain aware of that and also like not to depend upon your friends. So like, ultimately I got a dermatologist, right? Because like (laughs) my friend shouldn't be my dermatologist. Yeah. They should be my friend. Yeah. And I think, blurring those lines can get really messy, but part of what makes it complicated is that sometimes it's fine. Sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes you need a, a a quick outside word about something, or you have a friend who can help you with something and they're grateful to help and it's good for everyone. Yeah. I like, so like I edit videos for friends sometimes and I like doing it precisely because it's not work, but other times I get asked to edit videos and I'm like, you have no idea how hard what you are asking for is to do. Yeah. And it's only because you don't understand how hard it is that you are asking. Exactly. Because if you had any idea yeah. how hard it was, you would never ask like, hey, can you do this hundred hour job for me real quick? Right. Right. And like when nobody, when you don't know, you don't know. Um, but th- like, but but trying to to sort of parse out when like somebody is saying something where like this might be a thing that they need done and they're willing to pay for it versus when they just don't understand the amount of effort that's going to go into it. And so they're asking for more than they think they're asking for is very difficult. Like you don't actually know that because and it is weird to like to for people to get offended that you're trying to value your work. Um, yeah. It, it, but like also. You know, it's it's also understandable that somebody might not understand the the amount of work that goes into something. Yeah, I mean, it, it's so complicated because transactional friendships or friendships that are kind of based on a transactional approach to the relationship are so empty mm-hmm. for me and so unfulfilling and so unpleasant, really, to to feel stuck in. Yeah, but then in a healthy productive friendship you are also reliant upon your friends sometimes and you do turn to them so like is it you know with with our best friends it's not at all transactional for me to say hey i'm gonna be a little late will you order me some pizza Mm -hmm. i just think it's a case-by-case basis and we each have to decide is the friendship feeding us outside of this sort of like sense of mutual obligations or whatever. But the thing is, Hank, I feel like in a good, healthy friendship, you can say to somebody, 
No, nah, man, that's a lot of work and I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Because. Yeah. I just think that the people need to know that. I, I don't want to. They need to get that. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, Hank, can you edit this video for me? I got a good question Tuesday. I just need somebody to kind of hash it together. I've got great raw footage, though. I, I mean, I do like editing video. <laughs> what I want to edit, John, is a reunion video. Oh, me too. Where we answer questions together. Yes. It's always so much fun to a- edit those videos to be like, all right, we got we got 30 minutes of us being idiots. Yeah. How, how, do I, how do I turn this into four minutes? Yeah. Four. It'd be really interesting to have us each edit one of those and see like the different product each of us came up with. But that would be twice as much work and we're not going to do it. No, there's no way I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> which which reminds me that today's podcast is brought to you by knowing the value of your time <laughs> knowing yeah. the value of your time it's an important life skill this podcast is also brought to you by nasa nasa trying to convince everybody that mars is actually orange for nefarious reasons that no one understands and today's podcast is brought to you by laser printers laser printers actually using nefarious reasons that everyone understands <laughs> And finally, this podcast is brought to you by the Indianapolis. The Indianapolis coming to a local music venue near you. What? A, that's a good band name. It is a pretty good band name, actually. John, we got a Project for Awesome message from Calvin in Seattle to Emily. Shout out and happy birthday if this is around uh, April 23rd. Which Otherwise, it's not. happy whatever holiday is close by. So it's not, and I have no idea what holiday is close by. Let me let me rule it. It's national, it's it's national bourbon day, John, oh. the day that this is released. So have a cup on us. Or or not. Actually have a cup on Calvin. It, it's also flag day, Hank. I feel like you maybe could have led with the <laughs> fact that it's an actual holiday in the United States. <laughs> So listen, your toilet is massively gross, like it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet, Blue Land's Sustainable Toilet Cleaner Tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours. Plus, the tablets are plastic-free. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blue Land products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by ZocDoc. Look. There are, I think it's fair to say, some imperfections in the American healthcare system, but there are ways that it actually has recently gotten easier. I don't compromise on a lot of things, but I do not love feeling like I can't find the right doctor for me. And I've gotten very lucky that I have found some good doctors for me. When it comes to your health, there shouldn't be compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines slash their family group chat slash their crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or they happen to take your insurance. Instead, like you don't have to keep going back to a doctor who you don't like. You can check out ZocDoc, a place where you can find and book doctors who make you feel comfortable, who listen to you, who prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance type. So literally, no compromises. Because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you think. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more phone calls and waiting on hold with a receptionist. We don't have time for this anymore. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual, real patients. Booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even sometimes score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then you can book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com. 
slash DearHank. Every time I know it's coming and I'm like, I'm going to have to say doc, ZocDoc.com right now, aren't I? And then I do. I'm getting good at it, everybody. ZocDoc.com. All right, Hank, we have a question from Laura who writes, Dear John and Hank, I just had to buy a $10 pot of lettuce because my dog peed on it at the market. It's a head of lettuce in a pot with dirt in it. What am I supposed to do with it? It looks fully grown to me, but am I supposed to plant it? Am I supposed to take a few leaves off of it at a time? Do I just cut the whole thing off to have the freshest salad ever? I I don't want to ask the seller because he's pretty mad at me on account of my dog peeing on his lettuce. Dubious advice would be greatly appreciated. Sincerely, Laura. Really great name specific. Wow, almost missed that. I thought it was a typo at first. Wow. Um, this, so first of all, it's a little weird to, to, to sell a full grown lettuce while it's in a pot still. Like at that point, you just cut it off and sell it. But you not just that it's weird to have it on the ground at a farmer's market when everybody brings Uh, their dogs to the farmer's. Like, what do you think is going to happen? I don't know. I think, I think you, I think that that's, that's a little bit the dog's fault. I'm not going to blame anybody. Like. Also, my farmer's markets in Missoula, you can't bring a dog in. I think probably for this very reason. Mm, okay. It's wild to me to think that you could bring a dog into a farmer's market, just like it's wild to lots of people in other places that you can bring a child into a bar, whereas in <laughs> Missoula, there are no bars without children. Yeah, no, where else are they going to be? <laughs> yeah. There, I go to a bar that has a playpen area to put your child in. I'll tell you, I, I don't mind that in a non-COVID moment, but I mind it in a COVID moment. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I don't, I have not been to that bar in a, 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 at least 18 months. I hope they've closed down the playpen just for the moment, but we'll see. Yeah, my guess is yes. I think I've done this, that you can take a leaf off one at a time and maybe you can prolong the life of the lettuce. And what the lettuce is going to want to do is something called bolting, where it's going to send up its flowers to produce the seeds for the next generation of lettuce. The moment that that happens, something Something occurs inside of the lettuce that makes the leaves taste bad. And uh, and so that's the thing to watch out for. If that looks like it's starting to happen, you're going to want to cut that lettuce and make yourself a real, a real good salad immediately. Yeah. You don't want it to get even close to bolting, really. Yeah. So I, I'm a big fan of just eating it the moment it looks like you could eat it. Yeah. That's when it's freshest. That's kind of my guide. Yeah. That's kind of my guide with the garden mm-hmm. when the lettuce looks like, oh, I could I could probably eat that lettuce. It's a little softer, a little more pleasant, a little sweeter even maybe. So, yeah. It's in my opinion, it's almost never too early to start cutting lettuce. Yeah, but lettuce is happy to to be harvested um while it is still in in a pot. Doesn't mind getting its leaves yanked off. I think it's pretty used to that. But if you want to let it bolt and have a bunch of flowers, you'll be surprised by what happens, which is that the lettuce has flowers and then it will have seeds. And then you can take those seeds and plant them next year if you want to grow your own lettuce. That's fun. We had our asparagus bolt this year because we didn't know that there was asparagus planted decades ago wow. uh, near our garden. Right. And we were walking around one day and I was like, that looks kind of like an asparagus spear. Mm-hmm. And it was. So next year we're gonna have a spare guy. Asparagus has some kind of like weird growing season, doesn't it? Or is that the thing? Is the is the thing that grows up? Is that the flower? And it, you just have like catch it before it does its branching. I don't. I don't really I don't, know, yeah. but I know. I know it takes a while to grow asparagus. Like it takes a few right. years, and that's why I've never planted it before. But then it turns out it was here all along. Hey, nice. By the way, I have. We've had a great year in the garden as you would expect from being fairly homebound and yeah, not to brag or anything, but this weekend I harvested and processed over 2000 <laughs> strawberries. Wow. Yeah. 2000. How did you count them all? Well, Hank, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a counter. I always have been. I love it. I love accounting. <laughs> I love a good count. The, the irony hey. is that I'm a terrible accountant, but I do love to count. <laughs> So, wow. yeah, well, basically you freeze them in trays and each tray right. fits 175 strawberries. So it's easy to figure out how many strawberries you've harvested. Well, dude, it was the, amazing, though. The cherry the cherry harvest here in Montana is looking really good right now. But uh, we'll see what the squirrels have to say about that. Um, but if I unfortunately I think that you will miss the cherries while you're here, they will not be ready yet. 
That's okay. I've I feel like I've had my fill of fruit for, for some time. <laughs> God, I love cherries. Though I love strawberries. I mean, <sighs> strawberries are my are, they're my favorite thing that we grow in the garden because it's amazing. Like I understand how you grow potatoes and lettuce and peppers and everything because it tastes all that stuff tastes at least a little bit like dirt. You know, mm-hmm. like lettuce tastes enough like dirt that I believe it came from dirt. Strawberries taste nothing like dirt. It's just, it's, (laughs) I can't even get my head around the fact that strawberries grow out of dirt. Well, I mean, they, there are lots of fruits that don't taste like dirt and they all grow out of the dirt. I know, but it's like, if you told me that like ice cream sandwiches grow on a vine, I would be like, wow, that is surprising. Yeah. I, I maintain, I've said it probably four times on this podcast that if like candy manufacturers came up with grapes everybody would freak out. Yeah, that's so true. They'd be like, I cannot believe that you made that. It explodes in your mouth and it's so sweet. Yeah, I would like to try to grow grapes someday, but it seems like it's a lot of work. We have neighbors who have a grapevine on their fence. It's like Concord grapes, like big, big hunking seeds in them. Yeah. Uh, So you have to spit the seeds out, but they are so good. Yeah. And they're like right on the road. So you just kind of take them. Right. Because it's like, well, I mean, like, hey, like... They're on, they're on your side, but they're also on our side. So we're going to take them. I've got a policy that if if you're walking by my garden and you're in need of a strawberry, please, God, take one. <laughs> Last thing I need is another strawberry oh, God. right now. Yeah, it is. I, I mean, it, it, also, just to state the obvious, it is wild to me that strawberries, until quite recently, had to be eaten in like a two-week window. <laughs> Like, you know, like, it was <laughs> yeah, 150 yeah. years ago, you had strawberries two weeks a year and the other 50 weeks a year you thought about having strawberries. I mean, that's what that's what cherries are like in Montana. Like it's it's either it's either you have too many cherries or you have no cherries. Those are the two states of being. Yeah. But God bless those too many cherry weeks. They're real good. All right, Hank, we need to move on to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. What's the news from Mars this week? Well, uh, excitingly, um, so the Insight Lander has figured out a way to get a power boost. You may have heard that it is having having some struggles. Um, it's covered in Martian dust, and it has learned a new way to clean itself. That so um, so we're getting a little worried that Insight is going to basically end its mission because it's so covered in uh, in dust. It's also that Mars is at its aphelion right now which is the furthest point from the sun during that time the lander goes without its science instruments so that it can serve power for its heaters and other important parts but the team behind the lander wanted to see if they could get a few extra days with their instruments by clearing dust away from the solar panels and getting a boost so they so they did a very weird thing they made the solar panels dirtier they used the scoop on the insights robotic arm to pour a bit of sand onto the solar panels they poured the sand at the windiest time of the day so that the wind blew the sand the bigger chunkier sand across the solar panel and that uh took some of the bits of dust with it this worked boosting the power on the insight so that's like really good news for the insight mission which has been a little bit plagued with problems but the uh, that they have this new way of saying, okay, it's going to be windy. Wind is coming up. Put a little bit of sand on there. The wind's going to be able to blow the sand because the sand is bigger than the dust, which is has such a low profile that the wind just goes right over it. And uh, and so they've been able to boost the power on Insight. Great news. That's pretty cool and a very interesting counterintuitive solution. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. the thing you got to do is put more dirt on your dirt. Yeah, it's like, this is so dirty. What should we do? Uh, More dirt. It's also a situation where the only tool available to you is dirt. So why not try to use it? (laughs) The news from AFC Wimbledon this week is that uh, longtime AFC Wimbledon CEO Eric Samuelson, who was chairman of the club for over 10 years from the very bottom rungs of amateur football all the way up to being a team in the third tier of English football, And is one of my personal heroes, I have to say, because he ran the club all those years for no salary, just as a volunteer, like so many other people volunteer their talents and time to the club. He has written a book. It's called All Together Now, How a Group of Football Fans Righted a Wrong and Brought Their Football Club Home. 
And wow. it's a wonder. I mean, admittedly, I am hugely biased as an AFC Wimbledon fan, but it's a wonderful book. It's such an, in, it, first off, it's just a great story. And so, but it's also a really interesting insight into how communities that need money to run, run. Because it made me think a lot about our community, actually, because our community also needs money to run at certain times. Like, we, have, we obviously don't have, like, a mm-hmm. playing budget and a facilities budget and all that stuff. But it's a really interesting look at how do you make an amateur football team work, and then how do you make that transition to being a professional organization? What does that look like? And what are the challenges in it? And I really, I just thought it was really fascinating, really fun, and I loved it. Now, I mean, I every night I would get into bed and start reading this book and I would have a smile on my face and Sarah would be like, I've, I've never seen you so joyful when reading a book. And I was <laughs> like, I love every page of this thing. It's just incredible. It's great backstory, great insight into what everyone was thinking, you know, as these big events were unfolding. And I, I just thought it was awesome. So it's called All Together Now. It's right in time for the off season. So if you want to become a more invested supporter of AFC Wimbledon, I really recommend this book. In addition to to Niall Cooper's book, This Is Our Time, which I guess is what Danny Kedwell, the captain of AFC Wimbledon, said to his teammates immediately before walking up to score the winning penalty to send AFC Wimbledon back into the football league. (laughs) Nice. What kind of what kind of guts do you have to have to turn around to your teammates right before like the most pressure packed moment of your life and just say <laughs> this is our time? Oh God, I not love it. my kind. Ah, oh, I'll tell you that, <laughs> John. Thank you for making a podcast with me. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals, Rojas, and Sheridan Gibson. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. Our editorial assistant is Debuki Chakravarti. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown. Don't forget to be awesome. awesome.